Today's episode of Seven the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Episode 69 of the Send the Edge podcast. Nice. I'm just Mosquito. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald, Mr. Worldwide. You can find him on Twitter at Forward. Say what's up to people, Charles. What's up? We're back after a very, very lengthy hiatus, but that just means there's more to talk about. And uh, we're... Day three senior bowl updates. Yeah, day, day three senior bowl updates right here. Uh, but, but we're about five and a half weeks out from the draft. We've gotten uh, some free agency stuff that's gone on, uh, a lot of trades. So, I mean, let's just dive right in. I mean, there's been a pretty, you know, uh, I mean, I, I guess a lot of money thrown around in the first week or so of free agency. And uh, we were just talking before we came on about some of the moves that the Jaguars have made. And obviously, you know, the Norwell deal makes sense because, you know, you, you do have a pretty young offensive line there with Linder and Cam Robb and AJ Can, but Patrick May as a left guard, I, I hope I didn't butcher that name. He just wasn't getting it done, so they gave that deal to Norwell. But, you know, I thought it was funny that the, one of the first things that Tom Coughlin said after the deal was done was that he was looking forward to see him run block, which is kind of a, a weird attitude to have towards football in, in 2018. And it just kind of keeps signifying that they're just looking for ways to get the ball out of Blake Bortles hands which is like why did you extend him if that was the case like and you know you can go back to the ASU championship game uh when they were they had a chance to go score versus halftime and they still had like two or three timeouts and they just opted to kneel the ball instead so obviously you don't really trust your quarterback that much so I still don't understand why they signed him and every move that they make just kind of insinuates the fact that they don't trust him that much so I, I'm not really sure what Jacksonville's plan is this offseason. What do you make of it so far? I th- I think the weirdest thing to me has to be the wide receivers, right? So, like, Allen Robinson got uh, $42 million from the Chicago Bears. Marquise Lee got $34 million from the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you put his numbers head-to-head with Eric Ebron's, um, they're basically equal. Ebron's probably a little bit better, actually. And Ebron was, you know, released and looking for work. Uh, and then you look at uh, who was the other guy that they signed? Uh, Moncrief, right? Like, why, why are we just – I don't know. Why are we giving guys who are good wide receiver threes good, like, money that is comparable to what you just let Allen Robinson walk for? Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense because, you know, if, if you were going to, to pay a receiver – you know, you might as well just fork up the extra three, four million dollars to franchise Allen Robinson. I mean, he he had his his year in twenty fifteen uh, is almost equals up to what Moncrief has done in his entire career. So I, I don't really understand that thought process there. And I I thought that if you were going to roll into the season with uh, Allen Robinson, D.D. Westbrook, Keelan Cole, uh, like that's a pretty good 
receiver trio because I don't think anyone expected Alan Hearns to be back, and he just got cut today. So, you know, I, I'm just kind of confused what they're doing. They gave a gave out a contract to DJ Hayden too after letting uh, Aaron Colvin walk, which like letting Aaron Colvin walk is fine. That doesn't really matter that much. But then turning around and handing that contract to DJ Hayden, it just kind of seems like they're. I don't really know, but I don't really understand the. Like if you're gonna try to get back into the playoff race and get back to the Super Bowl, I'm not sure these are the moves that you really needed to make. You know, <laughs> the the biggest upgrade that they could have made was that quarterback. And as soon as the Blake Bortles decision was made, we knew that that was done. Um, I will say so. Next year, right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars have the least amount of cap space in the NFL with negative twenty seven twenty seven million dollars. And cap space is fake, but dead caps are real. And you can only June 1st two contracts. So, like, they're going to have to make a ton of hard decisions over the next two years. I didn't realize until we are in that group chat talking with Jax fans. And they were saying, you know, we're probably going to have to cut Calais. And I'm like, what? And, like, they're already, like, there in the process of, like, what type of guys they're going to have to move away from within the next two years just to fit their team under the salary cap. Yep. Yeah. Jax fans, you get one good year. Now your mind's racing on how you get back there. It's, it, you got to be patient. Uh, but I mean, with Bortles at quarterback, that kind of kills a lot of interest there. Especially when they could have just kind of, if they didn't want Kirk Cousins or Case Keenum or whoever, they could have just sat on that cap space and then traded up for one of these four guys that I think everyone. Or on. like Tyrod, how, how much? Like how much was the Tyrod Taylor deal for? Like a third round pick? Yeah. Would you trade a third-round pick for Tyrod Taylor? I mean, yeah, of, uh, I'm not going to – The chances you find a, a starting quarterback in the third round are pretty slim, so you might as well pop that third-rounder for Tyrod. Uh, he would have been an upgrade over Bortles, even if uh, Jax fans just talk about that one playoff game where he had no one to throw to and his offensive line was getting by the entire time. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't – I'm not sure how high to be on the Jags. Obviously, the defense is going to be good again, but – to expect them to be like all time good in terms of pass defense, like they were last year, is a a bit of a stretch. So you know, hopefully the offense can match whatever the, how much the defense regresses. And yeah, that, I think that's the story for the Jags this year. Uh, I think another interesting move for the off season so far was the Jarvis Landry trade. I mean, I think the Dolphins are kind of in disarray right now because they want to win now to save their jobs, but I think they're I think they're self aware enough to know that they aren't going to win now just because you know they're not better than the Patriots and depending on how the offseason turns out they might not be more talented than the Jets by the time the season rolls around so you know I'm, I'm not really sure what the whole organizational stance is there but the more I think about it I kind of do like this trade for the Browns because I don't I think we've been fairly vocal that Jarvis Landry cannot and should not be your number one receiver and I think we saw that last year in Miami where you know, if, if he's your number one threat, you're going to have a pretty constipated passing offense. But now he gets to be the number two or potentially even the number three if Corey Coleman can get his shit together with the Browns. And I, I kind of like that move for Landry. You know, he's not going to catch as many passes, but he should be more efficient on a per-target, per-touch basis. Yeah, so on Twitter before the move was made, because the thing is people always linked Landry to, like, the Chicago Bears, which made a lot of sense because Chicago really – like, they didn't have that body, and just having that body would have gone a long way there. But the other two places that I thought made a lot of sense were Buffalo and Cleveland. So do you, do you know how many receptions Cleveland's number one wide receiver had last year? 
just like as a throughout throughout all sixteen games. Yeah, like I'm gonna, for the year, how how many receptions did the number one receiver have? I'm gonna guess seventy. Twenty-seven. Oh. Duke Johnson had seventy-four. Yeah, so like the, the so this is how the receptions go for the Cleveland Browns, just like down the column, right? It's Duke Johnson number one. He's a running back. He's not even the starting running back. He's like a third down back, basically. Uh, Seth Evolve, David Njoku. So we got a rookie number two tight end before a receiver. Isaiah Crowell, who's the non-third down running back, and then Ricardo Lewis and Rashard Higgins, who are tied at, with twenty-seven receptions. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. So, I don't think Ricardo. I think I'm pretty sure Ricardo Lewis just got cut like a week or two ago. That does not surprise me. He's awful, and it looked like he was rigging games. And then uh, who was the other guy who was rigging games for the Browns this I year? I mean, Corey Coleman rigged that last game when Kaiser threw him like that perfect pass to score a yeah. touchdown or something, and then he dropped it. Yeah, so like 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 I said, I think you know Landry isn't a guy that you want to build around as a number one wide receiver, which is kind of what we saw in in uh, Miami. But if he's just like a slot guy that can just like eat checkdowns, man, like you know how you know how good Cleveland would have, how much be- not not how good I'm gonna correct myself, how much better Cleveland would have been in certain games last year if they just had one guy that they could check down to. Yeah, and uh, you know I, I still don't I still don't know how much trust we're supposed to have in. Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams, but if if Hugh is actually going to stay true to his word, which is kind of a stretch, and just let Todd Haley run the offense, then you know that should be an upgrade there, just in terms of like the the mind you have running the offense. But I I just don't I just don't know what to expect from Cleveland, just because in terms of the personality of coaches, Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, Greg Williams, those are three like hot head coaches and. When when they start losing some games, because you know they're going to, uh, I just don't know how this all turns out and who survives at the end of it. But you know, it's going to be fun to watch as someone who's not a fan of the Browns. Yeah, and you're talking about hotheads, um, Miami. So you were talking about how you know they're they're basically they're making decisions that their job security basically wouldn't suggest them to do, right? But I, I think what's going to end up happening is this is going to get messy because that team is not going to be good this year, and you're going to see a split between the head coach or at least the coaching staff and the front office just blaming shit on each other for why they're so bad. Because how many get last year you said the Miami Dolphins were going to win three games with the talent that they had. They're probably in worse shape right now than they were last year, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So are we – like are they potential number one pick bad? I mean they just restructured their quarterback too. Like, it's not like they're showing, like, real signs of confidence at all. Yeah, and, the, dude, the Tannehill restructure was funny because I think they they pretty much just put his entire salary for this year into a signing bonus. It was like, all right, you got one more chance, bud. And uh, so I, I guess, I guess but, if he's... But, so why, why, do you, why do you even do that if you can't move up for a quarterback? Because right now they're they're screwed. Like, Buffalo's going to have disarray. to... Buffalo's going to move up to two or four because their arm is twisted and they have A.J. McCarron. And, like... I don't know. Just it, it's just there's no way that they could get a quarterback. It's just like everything, every decision that they make is like independent and does not make sense relative to any other decision that they make. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the Bills are kind of in, not as bad as the Dolphins, but they're kind of in the same boat too. Like y- you go out and you pretty much just gut the roster uh, for draft picks, and now you're about to put a rookie quarterback into a situation where. Is his left tackle going to be Deion Dawkins? 
<laughs> it might be Marshall Newhouse if, if yeah, things break he, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like the bu- Buffalo is going to be awful. Yes. Buffalo is going to be a horrible team, and like they needed to, they needed to fix their fix their run defense. But giving Starlude Lay Starlude fifty million dollars was not the answer. Yeah, like, I promise I, that was not the answer to fix the run game because you got smashed by the Saints. Yeah, and I mean I think the Panthers upgraded uh, from Star to Poe. And uh, to and to trade Marcel Darius for a six round pick, you know, during the season, at, at this rate, you're probably wishing that you had kept him, so you could have like a, a little trio of Darius, Star, and Kyle Williams, or maybe even just Darius and Kyle, and you spend those resources elsewhere. But I, I don't understand giving all that money to Star Lotulele. I mean, it just kind of feels like they paid him that much money because he was a former first round pick. But I I don't really know what their deal is here because. And you think, you know, if you're a team that's about to go up and get a quarterback, why wouldn't you put some, give some money towards Andrew Norwell so that he's has some protection? Because I don't think Andrew Norwell gave up a sack all last season. Uh, so, you know, and that you also you obviously have the Carolina connection there with Sean McDermott. So I don't really know what the plan is there. That rookie quarterback's going to have no blocking and he's going to have no one to throw to really outside of, I guess, Shady and Kelvin Benjamin, if you want to call Kelvin Benjamin a threat, uh, it's just kind of. I will not. I will not call him a threat. All right, (laughs) it's just kind of a weird, random assortment of talent that they have, and none of it's really that good. I mean, if I was them, I might as well just you might as well try and trade Shady at this point too, right? Just see what you can get for him. Yeah, figure out some landing spot for him. Who, who even really like New York, the Giants? Mm. I'm trying to think of what team would even like super needs running back right now. Like, to the point where it, like, hurts their team that they don't have a good enough running back. The Cardinals, maybe? David oh, Johnson. No, David Johnson. My God, he you was, just fucking he, buried him. He was My hurt God. last year. I forgot because he was hurt last year. Uh, Fantasy Twitter just jumped in your fucking mentions, bro. Maybe the Seahawks? Yeah, uh, they need uh, – yeah, sure. Right. It's going to be the same – that's a worse offensive line that he's having to deal with the Buffalo right now. Yeah. Um, speaking of offensive linemen, uh, Nate Solder? Got a four-year, $62 million contract. He hasn't made a Pro Bowl. He's now the highest-paid offensive lineman in the league. And if he plays out through the first three years of this deal, which are basically promised, he's going to have the third-highest career earnings of any offensive lineman behind Trent Williams and um, Jason Peters, who are, like, on the way to the Hall of Fame. So for a a non-Pro Bowler, that's a pretty good situation for him. Shouts to his agent, bro. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are pretty much out here just being careless with their money and not really having a plan. Uh, but I am kind of intrigued by what, uh, by what the Browns are just doing in general, because obviously getting Tyra Taylor is not going to stop you from getting your guy at number one. But I think just in general, it's good that they finally have a veteran quarterback in there uh if the guys if their quarterback they pick at number one it isn't ready or just have a legit quarterback battle in camp because kaiser did talk about last year how he wished there was a veteran quarterback in the room because it was just him uh cody kessler it it was like osweiler but osweiler got cut right yeah so so it was kaiser cozy kessler and then kevin hogan and you know there's really no one to look up to no one that's been there no one that has like the leadership element that you're looking for and now you kind of have that with Tyrod but uh who do, so first of all who do we think they're going to pick at number 1 are we all in on Darnold as the first pick 
I mean, I'm not all in on him, but I think he's going to be the first pick. Right, not not in on like him as a player, but in terms of who we're project, projecting Cleveland to take number one. Yeah, because I think you can – so if we're going to talk about the big – shit, we can even talk about the big six quarterbacks, right? Rudolph is lacking an arm. Rosen has off-field off, off field issues, which just basically means he's a white liberal. Um, Lamar Jackson has questions about his accuracy uh, in the deep range because he misses those guys deep because of his short base, right? Uh, who else do we have? Josh Allen doesn't know how to throw a football, really. And then Baker Mayfield got tackled by police officers. And then you have Sam Darnold, who's just like the easiest evaluation ever, even though he's not – at least I don't think he's that great of a quarterback prospect. I think he's fine. Um, I probably wouldn't take him number one in this class. He's my fourth quarterback out of these guys. But uh, it just seems like the NFL really likes easy evaluations. And you can like talk yourself out of any other quarterback in one sentence. Whereas like Darnold, there has to be like nuance in it. And that's why I think he's going to go number one. Yep. Uh, you're, you're, I think when you say that they like the easy evaluation, that's that's pretty spot on. And, you know, I I don't – I guess Darnold's an easy evaluation in the sense that he kind of just looks apart. But uh, – he's, he's, he's freshman starter quarterback at USC. Yeah. With it, no off-field issues. Right. And won a Rose Bowl. Yeah. Like it's – yeah, it's very easy to go down narrative street and talk yourself into Sam Darnold and just kind of ignore some stuff like the fact. What I think it was the first half of the season he had more turnovers than anyone in the country. Yeah, uh, I think I'm pretty sure he finished the season with more turnovers than anyone in the country, and for some reason no one cares about that. But I, whatever, I'm, I don't really have the energy to argue too much about these QBs this year. But I think that does give us a good uh, lead into our first question from. Free Josh at Harvard Brown's thoughts on Rosen versus Darnold. Um, I think Rosen's okay. a better player. I I do too. Like I said, I think my t- my top three, and I don't really care enough to argue about it, would be Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, and it's like okay, yeah, whatever. Like I don't think there's that. Like that's a very clear tier in my mind. Like I don't think there's that big of a difference between those. And then I would have Darnold after that. Um, Rosen just automatic in intermediate areas, right? And then that USC game, he really showed off his deep game, which was kind of lacking. Um, first setting edge, I cut up. I think it was the first eight games of the season, all of his attempts that he threw beyond 10 yards. And one of the things that I really noted was like, all right, intermediate, he's like A++. Deep game, he's like C-. minus. But then that USC game, he just ripped it down the, down the field. So um, – I guess that probably elevates him a little bit, but I, I just th- I just thought going into that game he was better than Darnold anyway. Yeah, I, I agree with you on on all that. I think the funny thing with Rosen to me is like, if it almost feels like out of nowhere, at least on draft Twitter, I just kind of looked up and everyone was saying, "Yeah, Rosen's QB one, like unquestioned the goat." And you know, you got some people saying he's the best prospect in years, and I'm just kind of confused how we got to that point like months after the season ended and I, I think he's a little bit more volatile than people are saying and it's just kind of confusing that we got to this point really just randomly out of nowhere yeah for sure like the people who made the Eli Manning Jameis Winston comparisons I think are like 100% spot on yeah same that's that's just that's just gonna be who he, who he is I think so I don't know like I said I, I like probably Lamar and Baker a little bit more than Rosen, but like not enough to like bang the table for him. 
Yeah, and and that's pretty much where I am too. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I think if you get Lamar Baker Rosen in, in the draft, and maybe you draft Darnold and give him some time to to sit, or at least make give him time to make mistakes and then iron out those kinks. He probably got four solid to to good uh, starting quarterbacks in in the draft, and I mean I I think that's that's a pretty good quarterback class. Uh, so, do you want to just keep going in through these mailbag questions? Because there's one specifically for you. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, I don't see them. But, uh, sure, ask them. Uh, this one's from Kyle at Kyle Cortex. For justice, if Minka, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Denzel Ward, Darren James, and Josh Jackson are all gone by 14, wow, that would be quite the run on secondary players. Uh, would you still look at an edge over the secondary for Green Bay? Uh, no. Because... Green Bay's secondary is awful right now. So their their best put, so basically, Charles, have you been following this Packers secondary extravaganza at all? Uh, I stopped when they traded Demarius Randall because I was like, I don't know anyone here besides Kevin King. <laughs> okay, so they traded Demarius Randall, who had like the second best run defense grade by PFF and was like by far their best corner. Okay, so they traded him. Their replacements right now are like Kevin King and people that you've never heard of, and like Quentin. Like I think they have something like twenty-seven starts at cornerback right now in the whole team, and like nineteen of them are by Quentin Rollins, who's like very, very bad. So Kevin King had like a forty grade for PFF. I don't even think they go lower than that. And then last night, Morgan Burnett signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and now they're going to replace him with Josh Jack with a uh, Josh Jones. Who was drafted in the second round last year, right? And he also had like a forty grade by PFF. So like they legitimately on paper are like one NFL caliber defensive back if you judge them by what they did last year. And that's Haha Clint Dix. And Haha's coming off of his worst season in his career. So like just expect like Aaron Rodgers hero ball unless they can somehow figure out how to get two cornerbacks and have a massive jump play by both Josh Jones and Kevin King. Yeah, I mean, you 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 have to add somebody to that secondary, even if it means uh, it's gonna have to be like it's gonna have to be like DRC or bringing back like Tremont Williams. Like that's the, those are like the only options left at this point. Yeah, and I I like the the I personally really do like the Mike Pettin hire because I I just kind of went back and looked at the numbers and watched some of his stuff, and I, I think he actually is a pretty good defensive coordinator. And when you look at what happened with the Browns, is he wanted to take on more of a head coach role. So he gave the reins over to Jim O'Neill, which is probably his biggest mistake as uh, the head coach of the Browns. And that's kind of where the defense fell off. And then you can go look at, see what Jim O'Neill did to the 49ers defense in 2016, where they gave up, I think it was a string of like 10 plus, 10 100 yard rushers in a row. And they ended up giving almost almost 3,000 rushing yards in the season, which is almost unheard of in today's NFL. So, you know, I, I think that was where he did wrong in, in Cleveland, but it doesn't really matter if he's going to throw out like a D3 core of cornerbacks out on the field. It doesn't matter how good you scheme them up. They're just going to get toasted by pretty much everyone. So even if, you know, they do have this hypothetical run on defensive backs like Kyle is uh, proposing, I think you still got to figure out a way to get a secondary player in there. Well, like, so you, you've seen enough. You, you haven't been grinding a bunch of tape. You haven't eaten much tape this offseason. But you've seen enough of these pass rushers that you could say, like, really, there's two guys in this class, right? At the top, it's yeah. Chubb and Landry. Yeah. And I, so, I'm, like, if, I'm if, gonna... if, Landry, if Landry's gone by 14, like, what even pass rusher is there to take? Like, 
I don't know. Fucking Marcus Davenport? And, you know, I, I mean, but I remember when we were at the Senior Bowl, I was, or we were watching that tape of Marcus Davenport, and I kept saying he reminds me of, like, a lesser, or, like, you know, he kind of reminded me of, of Tack McKinley in the way, you know, he's not, he's not great at bending, but he's clearly, like, a pretty explosive player, and he, he tested, like, that at the Combine. Uh, I just don't know if you want to take that at 14. Like, that's more of a trade-down candidate, but... With the way that this cl- draft class is shaping up, would you even be surprised if Davenport went in the first round, like within the top twenty-five? Oh no, he's going in the first round. I'm pretty sure. I, f- I feel like that, don't you? Yeah, and it, but- he just like isn't testing great. Like you look at his numbers, he's basically like Kareem Martin, which is not great. I mean, Kareem Martin had like five and a half sacks his first four years in Arizona, and now he just signed like a fifteen million dollar contract with the Giants. I have no idea how that happened. Kareem Martin did. Yes. Did you miss that? I did miss that one. Wow. Yeah, fifteen million dollars, bud, to be a third defensive end. So he or third outside linebacker. So he's the highest paid backup three four outside linebacker in the league, behind the two highest cap hits. I want to say. I don't know. I don't know where they rank among outside linebackers, but I know when they were defensive ends, Jason Pierre-Paul and Olivier Vernon had the two highest cap hits for defensive ends. So like the Giants are like fully entrenched on this pass rushing unit, and I'm not sure that they're, like, even great at it yet. Like, Kareem Martin's bad. Like, he's been objectively bad over his rookie contract in Arizona. I looked at the numbers. Among just Arizona Cardinals, he was, like, 11th on the team in sacks over his rookie contract, and he was, like, 277th in the league over his rookie contract in sacks. They gave him $15 million. Yep. Uh, So, there you go. Giants are – they're selling out a lot of money to not be able to rush a passer. It's kind of – Bizarre. <laughs> we, we look at JPP, Vernon, and now Kareem Martin. Like, which one of those guys really scares you? Do any of them scare you? Well, J, I would say JPP is clearly ahead of the other two. Um, Vernon, I don't think is a bad number two rusher, but I think he's kind of like an average number two rusher. Like, when when Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and like Frank Clark were on the field, right? All three of those guys were better than Olivier Vernon. I think all three of those guys are better than JPP too. I'm not here for JPP slander. It's, it's, it'd be borderline for me. But, yeah, like the Giants, for what they're putting into that pass rush, they're not getting that much out of it. Yeah, uh, and it looks like that's going to continue for another year. Uh, staying on the defensive line, you just brought up Michael Bennett. Uh, we have a question from Duty at Eagles HQ. Is Michael Bennett or Haloti not a wash? Did the Eagles D-line get better on paper? I I think they got better. I don't think Michael Bennett's washed uh, at no. all. He's, uh, he's, he's an improvement over Vinnie Curry, I think. Yeah, and when you look at um, uh, what Haloti Nada is going to be asked to do, he's already got uh, Fletcher Cox and uh, Timmy Jernigan in front of him. Michael Bennett's going to take some three-tech snaps or some defensive tackle snaps, so... When you look at what Nada's going to be asked to do, he's going to be asked to play, what, 10, 15 snaps a game max? Yeah, Nada's just going to be, like, he's just going to keep guys fresh, I think. Yes. And, like, goal line. Like, keep guys fresh, goal line situation. He'll he'll be in a better spot than he was in Detroit, I think, because Detroit kind of had to, like, lean in on him. Right. So if that's what what you're working with, yeah, or if that's what Haloti Nas can be asked to do, then I, I, I think you definitely got better on paper because I, I think Nas is better than Bo Allen is. So, 
Uh, if you just need Nada to come in and spell guys for 10, 15 snaps a game, then then that's fine. And Michael Bennett, like you said, is absolutely an upgrade over Vinny Curry. So, you know, that defensive line is pretty horrifying. Uh, Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, Derek Burnett, Chris Long still there, Michael Bennett, Lodi Nada. Uh, yeah, they're going to eat people's souls alive. Uh, so I'm just going to pray for the rest of the NFC East, and the Falcons have to play them too. So I'm going to pray for my Falcons too. Um, um, I want to I ask you something about the Eagles, okay? So... For, like, the last 15 years, we've seen people kind of chase Belichick and try to out-Belichick Belichick in a game of, like, consistent stability and team structure, right? The Eagles are pretty much doing the opposite of that, where they're they're turning salaries into signing bonuses, which get prorated, right? But it also locks in contracts long-term. So if these contracts start going bad, right, the, the Eagles are basically having to do a bunch of gymnastics just to get under the cap. If some of these contracts start getting bad, it's going to be like a red, uh, a pre-Reggie McKenzie Oakland Raiders situation where the team's going to have to full-on tank for like an entire year. Um, but they're like maximizing their playoff window, like their championship window right now while Carson Wentz is under a rookie deal. Do you think that this is like – like are more teams going to follow this trend? Is there like a paradigm shift of like – Hey, we probably can't out Belichick Belichick, so we got to do it in a different way. Or do you think that they're just kind of an anomaly? Because I think Jack Jacksonville Jaguars are kind of doing it right now too, and those are the only teams that stand out in this way. And I think the Rams are trying to do that too. I mean, they're to me they're they're going to bring in Dominican Sue on a visit today, and I, yeah, I, I just I just want to, <laughs> I I just want him to sign like yo, even if the money's not up to snuff, just take that on the chin and go play with Aaron Donald for like a year or two. That would be so much fun. Uh, but we just look at the, what the Rams are doing. Akeem Tlaib, Marcus Peters, uh, they shipped off Al Goldtree out of there, thank God. Uh, and now they're going to try to sign in Dominican Sue. That would just be such a fun defense. But I think it's a way to, to beat Belichick is to just sign as much players as you can on a rookie deal. But that's also a difficult strategy to do because you need to find a good quarterback that's on a rookie deal, which is pretty difficult right. to do. Like, I don't understand what Dallas is doing. Like, they're just sitting around doing nothing. And you got Dak for a cheaper deal than the Seahawks had Russell Wilson on. So why are you not trying to go out and be aggressive and get all these, as many players as you can? Well, they've been put in a weird spot. So, like, I think there are things that they could have done. Like, uh, damn, what's, what's that guy's name? The Boise State defensive lineman who yeah, ended Lawrence. up – no, 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 not Demarcus Lawrence because he had to get he had to get tagged, so they obviously had to give him money. But the guy who like flipped between defensive tackle and defensive uh, Tyrone end, Crawford. Yeah, he's making like pe- people don't realize this. Pe- he's making like tens of millions of dollars. Like that dude is bringing in bank, and I don't think he's a good player at all. So yeah. like you could have done moves like that, a des restructure. You know what I mean? Or like a things cut. like that. Like <laughs> uh, not giving Terrence Williams a ton of money last offseason like we told you not to like just just little things that you could have done to just kind of find cap space to like chase after a ring but yeah and i, I don't know I, I think the what you're gonna see with dallas is here they just don't have any depth like they got some good names on the offense and defense but when, once you get past that like we see every year whenever sean lee gets hurt that defense just completely falls apart and you already let anthony hitchens walk which is fine because i think the chiefs gave him just an egregious contract Forty-five million dollars. Um, yeah, I I don't even think he's that good of a player to be getting that much money. But you know, whatever. More power to him. I uh, I just I just don't really understand what Dallas is doing here. You know, you could have shed 
some money off of Dez's deal, you probably could have... I don't know if they could have moved on from Terrence Williams, but you got to do something to get some cap space in there and try to maximize this window you have before you have to end up paying Dak in, you know, what, two years now? Or maybe one off season they got to yeah, pay Dak? It's, it's, you probably don't want him going into that last year unless you're playing on a franchise tag and then it doesn't really matter anyway. Um, I will say that last year, do you remember when we were doing the previews and we were like, hey, Dallas is losing more depth defensively than any other team in the league and this is probably going to show up at some point even though it doesn't... Like, if you're just skimming over the starters it doesn't stand out but if you look at the depth and you're like this team is completely depleted on the defensive side of the ball and they're still fighting that two years later like i think those things matter a lot um that's happened offensively i can think of like the cincinnati Bengals over the last couple of years where they've just kind of hemorrhaged talent down to like losing guys like marvin jones mohammed sanu or like offensive linemen like whitworth and zeitler right like those things like actually show up you know two three years later when you just hemorrhage talent like that Yep, it uh, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. They don't really have a, a clear like direction right now. And I think what what's happening with Dallas is they just get sometimes like too emotionally attached to these players. Like, why was Orlando Scandrick a, a Cowboy for ten years? Why is Des Bryant not like aggressively trying to be moved or restructured or cut or something like that? But it's just kind of messing with their money right now. And you know, you have a franchise quarterback who's. I don't even know if his total deal was worth like four or five million dollars. So I don't know why you're not really trying to be aggressive and get after this this uh, this window that you have. But you know, whatever. quick quick question: If Des Bryant was cut, how fast would he be signed by John Gruden? By who? John Gruden. Oh, I, I mean, maybe you could probably convince John Gruden to trade like two first round picks for Des Bryant right now. <laughs> The, so this is my favorite thing about the John Gruden situation. The way the Derek Carr contract is structured, they can get out after it next year. And judging by like John Gruden's history of just like not giving a damn of who his quarterback is and just betraying him all the time, I really do wonder if like there's even like a five percent chance that he's just like, yeah, fuck this guy. I mean, we'll see you this year. John Gruden's calling the plays, right? I I have no idea who who's his offensive coordinator. Is it like Bill Lazor? Uh, I think it's Greg Olson again. Uh, okay. Um, I'm about to look that up. I just you know that this Raiders deal is just yeah it's Greg Olson. He's the offensive coordinator of the Raiders again. He gets to work with Derek Carr again. Uh, I I just don't really like what's the Raiders plan here? That that's the big thing because I, I don't really care I about Vegas sideshow. Yeah, but okay. So your Vegas sideshow side is Doug Martin, Jordy Nelson. They're bringing in Eric Decker today. What's the intrigue? What's the interest with this team? Uh, Bruce Irvin is moving back to defensive end. Yeah, that's true. And I guess Gary and Conley. <laughs> that's yeah. That's about as interested I am in this team. I'm like, oh wow, you're. It's like that, and then like, hey, your cap situation for your interior offensive lineman is going to deteriorate over the next couple of years because you have to pay them escalating salaries. So yep. that's where I am in like Raiders' interest. It's like offensive line cap structure. Is Gary and Conley going to develop, and Bruce Irvin finally gets to be a full-time defensive end for the first time since his rookie year in Seattle? Yeah. But just looking at where the, where the Raiders are headed on offense – so they have, they so we already talked about Derek Carr, their offensive line. So they're gonna roll in to the season with what Jared Cook, Amari Cooper, Jordy Nelson, Marshawn Lynch, Doug Martin, and potentially Eric Decker. Like, dude, what year is it? 
it, <laughs> what are they doing? What year is it? Like, is, is, yeah, is Gruden is Gruden somehow like mind trapped in a set on like some Packers Bucks Monday Night Football game from whatever year it was? Or if that was even a thing that happened, but he's just signing like all these guys that were dope like four years ago and. I don't understand like what what his motive is like. What's the plan here? What if, like if you're a Raiders fan, how confident can you be that they nail this draft class? Oh, not at all. I mean, how confident are you in the fact that like Gruden has a ten year contract? Yeah, a ten year <laughs> deal for for an owner who like for an NFL owner does not have that much money, right? Like he inherited money that was football money, which is different than like Jerry Jones owns oil money. Right, right, and with, yeah. with with the Raiders too, uh, they're they're going to be pretty brutal on defense again. So I mean, are, are they gonna... their secondary? Their secondary is awful. Like last year, so last year the worst defensive, like the teams with the worst defensive backs were clearly Oakland, Green Bay, and the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans have addressed that by uh, signing a, signing uh, Aaron Colvin after they let AJ Boy walk. Yikes. Um, Oakland really hasn't done anything, and the Packers have somehow gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's the Raiders for you. Uh, the next question from EC at Utah EC. How would you compare Bud Dupree and Josh Sweat as prospects? Where does Sweat belong in the draft? Uh, best schematic fit? I don't think Bud Dupree and Josh Sweat are similar at all, really. Do you? Uh, no. I think I think Bud was more twitchy. Honestly, I think but it was more twitchy and had less like competence in terms of like what of like what worked. Right. Like he just kind of ran through guys. Um, Josh Sweat. I was actually uh, DMing our good friend Kyle Posey and he was telling me his, his comp for Josh Sweat is basically Danelle Hunter. Because the way that they use Josh Sweat a lot is like as a five tech where he's reading an offensive tackle, not reading the ball. So he's coming off the ball late. But when he does look at the ball. His burst off the line of scrimmage is pretty good. So I think he's probably like a day two guy who ends up developing into, you know, a pretty good guy. I think he's probably a top five pass rusher in this class. Um, but he's not there right now because of the limitations that he had early on in his career from the injuries down to the scheme that he played in. Um, so he's kind of like a little hidden gem sort of like Janelle Hunter. I think that was a pretty decent comp. Yeah, that works. And like we were talking about earlier, there's a very clear drop-off from Chubb and Landry to the rest of the pack. And I think when you look at guys like Davenport and Sweat, they're kind of in that next tier where uh, you probably, ideally, you hope you can take them on day two and they develop into a decent starter down the road. But with the lack of like premier pass rushing talent, I, I think they're going to probably go a little bit higher than they should. And obviously the combine with Hercules Matafa is going to help him out some because I don't know what the hell happened there. I thought he looked Dog, I thought he was an elite athlete, like legitimately like an elite athlete. I thought he was going to be like Bruce Irvin. Yeah, I really, I'm just befuddled with what happened there. Now, now his, his college tape just makes no sense now because he was super <laughs> he duper. Just wins off a burst off a line of scrimmage, can bend around guards. Yeah, and he just came out and just tanked the combine. Maybe he didn't train that much. I don't. I don't really know. But that was just kind of bizarre to see. I still like him as a player. Uh, I think he'd probably be in, like still that tier two for me. But the combine just didn't make any sense whatsoever. I I bet he gets drafted in like the third round or something like that. Anything less than that, and he's just like just from a talent perspective, he's a massive value if he hits day three. 
Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, just like from a pure football player standpoint, if he if he's there on day three, I I don't think he lasts very long. Um, so I want to ask you something real quick. I was talking with Josh Norris about this, and uh, Maurice Hurst is pretty clearly our favorite interior defensive lineman in he's this class, right? He's the only right? one that matters to me. Okay. Um, so people keep wanting to compare him to, like, a Mike Daniels and stuff like that. And I was workshopping this with Josh. Is he more short than anyone else? Kwan short? Kwan short? Uh, yeah. No. I mean, because... You don't think so? No, because I think Kwan's... He's got... Kwan's kind of a bully. Like, he's he's strong as hell at the point of attack. And it's not, not that Hurst is, is weak or anything, but... I think Kawan could play nose tackle in a pinch for you if you needed to and not really have any drop off. I don't know. Like That's to, true. To me, Hurst is he's kind of like I, I think I think Grady Jarrett's a little bit more physical than him, but that's like an easy comp to make. I think he's he's like a more explosive version of like Corey Legion or something like that. That makes sense. Um Bob McGinn, I, I was just reading this yesterday. Bob McGinn said that he's going to be a second-round pick. I mean... And McGinn is... For, no, for, I, I don't know, I don't know what people, to make of that. Yeah, for as much as people give Bob McGinn crap, and I really don't like the scout quotes thing that he has, but in terms of like how he tears off players, he's almost right every year. And putting Maurice Hurst in this you know second-round tier of guys is kind of surprising to me because I think he's a lot better than guys like Vito Vea and Deron Payne and Taven Bryan. Your guy Taven Bryan, big fan. Dude, I don't, I don't get him at all. He's like he's the most explosive dude who like has literally no creativity in his rushes that I've ever seen in my life. Like if people thought Hagman was bad, like Brian, Brian has less creativity than even Hagman did. And the thing with hey, like the thing with Brian, if you just go back and watch Taven Bryan's game versus Florida State, I mean he has a handful of plays where he's getting into the backfield. And he just has no idea where to go. Like once he gets near the ball, like there are plays where he's running away from the ball, uh, like still trying to defeat blocks, but he's in the backfield. And obviously, obviously, you can you can watch him, and he's clearly, very clearly, an alien, like a freak athlete. In the combine, right. kind of confirmed that. But in terms of football IQ, it's like very, very, like dangerously low, almost. So I don't really understand what what the intrigue is with him on day one. I, I get it on day two, if you just want to make a dice roll on this guy. Uh, but just in, in terms of, like, day one talent, I, I, you you could not sell me on Taven Bryant in the first round, like, at all. Because I remember when he started popping up in terms of, like, potential top 20 guys, so I was like, oh, I got to watch him. And then I was like, okay, uh, when's he going to make a play, like, within structure that <laughs> makes sense? You know, and it, you know when he gets a burst, when he gets a jump off the offensive line, and he can bend the corner around tackles and guards, like that's obviously cool to see. But when he has to read blocks, it's just he's in no man's land consistently, and he gets he gets pancaked a lot. He finds himself on the ground a lot, and I just don't understand like the 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 intrigue there as a day one talent. But now that I've been thinking about some of these uh, Maurice Hurst comps, what do you think about Sharif Floyd with knees? That's pretty good. With knees, Floyd with these knees and no heart. That's a pretty damn good player. <laughs> I know, yeah, because because I always thought that Floyd was when he was healthy, he was a really disruptive presence for the Vikings. But you know, he had it sounded like he had like a botched knee surgery that kind of like fucked up the nerves in his knees and ended his career. But if you can get Hurst, 
on day two when the heart checks out, like you've got somebody who can be like a top ten defensive tackle sooner rather than later. Agree. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, uh, Brian. So last thing on Brian, I've never seen him cross a guard's face. Like he lines up in the C gap or in the B gap, and he just stays in the B gap no matter if he has to bend around the play to just like chase down a running back that he's obviously not gonna chase down. Like he runs him, like he gets bent and, and burst off the line of scrimmage. But the thing is, it's not influencing these plays at all because he's not creative. He's not going across the face of guard. He's just running himself out of place. It's really weird to watch. He's kind of a fun player to watch because you're like, holy shit, this guy can be like, JJ like Watt. he could be a Pro Bowl. Yeah, he could be a Pro Bowl if he puts everything together. Um, but he's like nowhere close to putting it together right now. I think if someone takes him in the first round, it would have to be a team like Dallas that has like a huge defensive tackle need and has a guy like Rod Marinelli where they like super trust in their development of uh, defensive linemen because it's yeah. like. It's a it's a big project, dude. Like, like he's basically like defensive tackle version of like Josh Allen. Yeah, like if if the Falcons popped him at twenty six, I think I could talk myself into that. But I I would feel better about that if they could sign someone that would kind of alleviate the pressure of him having to be a starter day one. But they only have five million dollars in cap space, so I I'm pretty sure they're out of the free agency free agency market right now. Uh. Which kind of takes us to the next question. Dr. Grant at Common Thought underscore. Thoughts on how the Falcons should address their defensive line needs at this stage of free agency and in the draft? Well, they don't have any money. So uh, until that Ryan contract gets done, they're kind of have their hands cuffed. So I guess you got to go into the draft. And with the draft, you know, I, I guess with Hurst kind of being a wild card, is it, is it you got to trade up for Vea if you want to tackle that's going to start day one, I guess. Uh, I think NFL teams are going to like Deron Payne. Why? Well, he had is a couple just, good games. It's just a, <laughs> literally a couple. Like it's it's the FSU game and the Georgia game. Like right. it's literally like the first season, the first game of the season, last game of the season. Um, like what what do you think happened there? Because it like was he like legitimately not trying for like thirteen games? Because those two games, he, like, legitimately looks like a top-ten pick. Um, his push-pull is, like, super good. He has that swim move. He was just basically in George's backfield and FSU's backfield the entire game. Right. But then and, he just had like, this massive stretch where he just, like, full-on disappeared. In Georgia, they have they had a pretty damn good offensive line last year. So it's not like he was doing it against right. some scrubs. Uh, I just don't – like you said, you've got a whole thing in the middle where he did absolutely nothing. And he has – Five tackles for loss over three seasons, and you know we saw he had, he had more ta- he had more tackles for a loss in the Georgia game than he did the the rest of his senior season combined. And it, it's just bizarre because we've seen guys like we've seen guys that aren't as explosive as him, like Jerron Reed or Asian Robinson, come in and produce way more than he did. So for him to just not do anything while he's at Alabama is. It's got to be a red flag, but obviously, you know, the physical tools are off the chart, and we've seen him we've seen him at his peak, and when he's at his peak, he's he's really scary. It's just how do you get that out of him on a consistent basis? Because, I mean, if, if you can get the Georgia game, well, I mean, if you get the Georgia game every week, we're talking about a top three pick probably, but, uh, you know, it, it's just the consistency. Talking about, like, Linval Joseph. Like, he's like Linval Joseph if you can get that damn Georgia game every week. Yeah, and I mean, some people, some people have linked the Vikings to him as a potential fit. Um, I don't know why. 
I don't know. They just, they just didn't they just get Sheldon Richardson and they have Lou well, yeah, like that, he would that, be the okay, third well, defensive tackle. That was before the Sheldon. I forgot the right. signing. Uh, God damn, that Vikings defensive line is gonna be fun. Uh, but dude, so th- so think about that Vikings defensive line, and then think about the fact that they still stand Anthony Barr and Kendricks in the A gaps. Like that's a nightmare. That's a third down nightmare. Yeah, I I think the only thing they're really missing there is maybe like some extra defensive end depth. Uh, Arif keeps telling me that they need guard. A guard? Yeah. Didn't they? No, they spent on tackles last year. Yeah, they spent on tackles and they drafted a center. I guess they both they need two guards. So, I would I would guess that they're probably going to take a guard in the first round. Which you you like my boy Will Hernandez? Because you finally saw him, right? Yeah, I because I just been going through the list of uh, guys the Falcons are going to be interested in and just kind of watching some of the guards. But, uh, yeah, Will Hernandez is a beast. Uh, I think Wynn's going to be a good player, too. But, obviously, the Falcons, they they, didn't, they legit don't have any more room on their offensive line, so I don't think they're going to add one in the draft at all. It's just going to be, like, straight defensive linemen uh, throughout the draft because they just need to get some young contracts there outside of Grady Jarrett. Uh, next question from our pal, Dumb Panther, at Marxist Panther. When will Cam Newton get to play with a, re- a real wide receiver? And and that kind of makes me want to talk about uh, that Torrey Smith, the Daryl Worley trade. Dude, what is Carolina? Yeah. Doing? What what are they doing there? Because I because I don't Worley's not like uh, you know a, a an elite corner or anything, but he's definitely like a quality starting one. And you're gonna trade your quality starting corner to a team that was going to cut Torrey Smith regardless. So. You pretty much just gave him away for free. It doesn't like it. I, I'm not really understanding the logic behind that one. So you're you're rolling to season with what? Tory Smith, uh, Devin Funches, Curtis Samuel, Jerry's Bird, who they signed. Oh, not Jerry's Bird. Jerry's Wright, who they signed yesterday from Minnesota. Who else? You, you can only really only add one more body there. And I, mean, I agree. It, that's what that. That's why when the Tory Smith thing happened, I was like super surprised. Because I was like, okay, did they just take themselves out of the wide receiver market, basically? Or, like, the high-end wide receiver market? Because if Funches Smith or Samuel is their fourth receiver, that's the highest-paid, like, fourth receiver in the league. You know what I mean? And you have to remember that Christian McCaffrey is going to get snaps out wide, too, in that offense. Right. So it's like they don't even have room for, like, really, like, a developmental rookie type of guy when Curtis Samuel, like, already was that guy for them. So they've kind of, like... They've shot their load for like the next two years, kind of. Yeah. Uh, so when will Cam Newton get to play the real receiver? Uh, maybe if he becomes like a GM of a team someday and he gets a draft one in the first round as retribution of what the Panthers have put him through. But and Greg been... Olson, Greg Olson's taken like interviews to uh, getting to a broadcasting role. Yeah, and but he, like he if said he's offered that he's going to like retire or something. No, nah, he said he said he would honor his contract with the Panthers, but. Uh, but that's something that he wants to do in like his post football life. Um, so I don't know. I I really don't know what the Panthers like. That's that's another team that doesn't really have a plan. The Panthers, you know, you let Andrew Norwell walk, which is fine, I guess. Maybe if they feel good about Taylor Moten, and he, he did look damn good in the preseason, albeit against backups. But he's obviously someone that athletically can can play guard and and be like an athletic dominating player at guard but but why why not like move daryl williams instead of move away from andrew norwell hey you're talking talking about all pro you're talking about all pro daryl williams right fuck out of here all right (laughs) 
I mean, they're all, 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 all Carolina does is block with fucking tight ends. No shit, the right tackle is going to have a good grade. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I just don't understand what they're doing really on both sides of the ball. I do like the post signing for them. Uh, I thought that Vernon Butler kind of started to figure things out towards the end of the year. So now you got Short, Poe, and uh, and Vernon Butler, which is a good trio. I, I you know they still need defensive ends. They need a corner now that they traded one. They need a corner. Because they, they were going to sign Breland, and then he failed his physical because he had a cut on his foot or he had to get a skin graft on his foot, and that made that was enough for them not to want to sign him. Like, is he missing pieces of his foot? Because, I mean, that feels like something you just kind of sit on, and then he's ready to go before OTAs. Uh, and then, yeah, they need a safety too because they let Kirk Coleman go sign with the uh, – <laughs> with the Saints. So they kind of need everything and they haven't really addressed anything. So, you know, this draft is going to be pivotal for them and it looks like it's going to be another year of Cam Newton just kind of trying to drag them into the playoffs. So I, I, I don't really understand. It seems like more of the same with Carolina and they're just kind of in a bad spot where they have one of the best talents at quarterback we've ever seen and they're just not really actively trying to get him any weapons that would scare other teams. And it's worth noting that, like, when Christian McCaffrey split out to the slot, right now Fozzie Whitaker is the running back behind Cam Newton. So, yeah, I, I would imagine they they probably try to take one in the draft, but um, it's just kind of a weird, like, cluttered mess of guys that aren't very talented playing with Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey right now. And you know, I I I, I like Christian McCaffrey in, in terms of what he could potentially bring for them next season but it's just it, the rest of the offense is kind of a mess uh we're at almost an hour so you have anything else you want to fire off in there um if anyone knows any cornerbacks send me their phone numbers and let me text them and i'll send them the pitch to uh start for the green bay packers please please keep me in mind uh other than that not really no uh yeah, so, so, yeah, that's really all I got. So that's going to conclude episode 69, Nice, of Setting the Edge. We're going to be back every week now, promise. Uh, we just, I don't really know what happened there. We just kind of got jumbled and I was traveling and shit, so uh, we just didn't really have time. But we, had, we, had, we, had, we had finals, getting these little parachute degrees, all that stuff, all the fun <laughs> things. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, because I forgot you, got, you guys are on the quarter system, so. Um, we are. Yeah, so that's all we got. Let's conclude episode 69, Send the Edge. We'll be back next week, episode 70. Uh, hopefully we'll have a guest on to talk about whatever the hell. Uh, adios. Five stars, six cheeses. Yeah.